Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the third episode of the Practical Parsha podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. This week's episode is dedicated in the memory of Joe Schrager, Yosef Ben Kalman, his Neshama Shadav and Aliyah. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to say hello, tell me how you like this podcast. My email address is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Korach. Now, Korach was an interesting individual. He was a great-grandson of Levi. He is best known for a rebellion that he starts. He foments an insurrection against Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKohen. And it's just a little interesting, Korach as a person, because on one hand, it seems that he was on a greater level than Moshe Rabbeinu on a certain sense. But at the same time, it seems that he had underlying issues, desire for honor, desire to be a leader. And it is it was those shortcomings which caused him to err in a deadly way. So the story of Korach begins with Korach feeling very insulted and very upset that Moshe Rabbeinu Moses does not pick him for any of any position of authority in the community. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses is the leader of the Jewish people. His brother, Aaron HaKohen, Aaron, was appointed the high priest. And the sons of Aaron were also positioned to be the, the deputies. Aaron and his children were chosen to be the Kohanim. Korach, although he was very distinguished, was not chosen to be one of the leaders of the Jewish people. And he felt, why is it that I should not have any of the responsibility of, of the Jewish people? I'm also very qualified. I'm also um, very, I also have very good lineage. Why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu has all the leadership positions with him and his brother? Seems that he's having a little nepotism. And Korach begins his rebellion not by directly challenging Moshe Rabbeinu, but by asserting that maybe Moshe has used his position for personal gain, by appointing himself as the leader, by, by having Aaron Cohen serve as the Kohen Gadol. And it wasn't just that the Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron had the positions of leadership. Korach inferred that they were using it for their own monetary um, benefit. Right? Because we know that the Levium collect tithes were collected by the Levium and the Kohanim as well. The priests would also get certain portions from every animal as well as certain presents that were due to be given to the Kohanim by every Jewish person. And what he does is he says, why do we need to have that just Moshe and Aaron are the leader? Every Jew is a son of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And everybody should have an equal share in serving in the tabernacle and the Mishkan. Why is it just the relatives of Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, that they get to have everything for themselves? And he uses the expression of Rav Lochem, B'nai Levi, that it's too much for him. He has too much. And he demands of Moshe Rabbeinu that everyone should have a peace in the, the service of God. Now, there are commentaries that explain that the Korach and his followers did have a sense of L'shem Shemayim. They were doing it for the sake of God. But it seems that most of the opinions of the commentaries 
put Korach in more of a negative light. It seems that his his desire for honor and desire for for kavod really drove him to do this, to challenge Moshe Rabbeinu. As he works up the people against Moshe Rabbeinu, he does get over 250 followers that come, that want to challenge Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, there's a, there's a different, there's a back and forth that happens in the Parsha between Moshe Rabbeinu, Korach, who is this leader of this rebellion, Dasan and Aviran, the other two leaders of this insurrection, and there's a back and forth. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells them, obviously, that they're not in it for themselves. Moshe and Aaron, they, were, they didn't choose to be in positions of authority. It was because God had told them to do this. They were listening to the will of Hashem. They didn't want to be the leaders of the Jewish people. right? We all know that Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he, that was the last thing he ever wanted. He was extremely humble. And he was more than willing, if it would be up to him, to not be the leader of the Jewish people. It was only because Moshe was commanded by God to be the, Jew, the leader. Aaron was commanded by Hashem to be the Kohen. And they were listening to what Hashem wanted. They weren't doing their own will. And Moshe tells Korach that whoever, that everyone will bring a ketores offering, incense offering, and whoever's offering is chosen, that will be the one who will be the holy one. That will show us who the true leader of the Jewish people is. The next morning, everyone brings their pans to offer their incense offering. And a fire, a heavenly fire comes down and consumes the 250 followers of Korach. And the earth miraculously opens up and swallows Korach, Dasan, and Aviram and their entire families. And the, the rebellion is quelled. Now, there's different questions and different points that we can discuss about this week's Parsha. I wanted to focus on three different ideas that we can learn from. The first thought, which I thought was very interesting to me, is what happened to Korach? What caused him to go bad? Right, as I mentioned before, Korach was a tremendous Torah scholar, and in some ways he was on a higher level than Moshe Rabbeinu. Than Moses. So what caused him to go off? To go off the, the straight and narrow? Obviously there was this um, desire for honor. But just, you know, don't we all have a desire for honor? What caused it in him to, to bring this whole desire to foment a whole rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu? And the, the commentaries explain that what caused Korach to go against Moshe Rabbeinu was the bad advice he got from his wife. Now, I'm not saying a lesson here is that about a bad wife. I'm not talking about that. The lesson I want to bring out here is not about Korach's wife. But I want to contrast it with what happened to On Ben Peles, B'nai Ruvain. On Ben Peles was originally one of the followers of Korach, but it seems it's brought down um, in the Midrash and in the Talmud that he was saved. He was saved and he did not get swallowed up into the ground with the other followers of Korach. And the reason that is so is because it's brought down is that his wife convinced him to do teshuva, to, to repent. And because he did teshuva, he was speared and he did not get swallowed up into the ground. And it's really interesting. If you look at the story, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Talmud of Sanhedrin relates that 
Korach's wife instigated him to start up with Moshe Rabbeinu. She said, what is this? Moshe Rabbeinu, he's getting all the honor. He's getting all the positions of authority. Him and his descendants get the truma, the miser, right? The different tithes and the different presents from each animal would have to be given to the Kohen. Why is this fear? Right? And when, when Korach came home after the special purification process where Moshe Rabbeinu shaved all the Levim, including his own sons, his wife complains to Korach and says, look what Moshe Rabbeinu did to you. He shaved you bald to, to denigrate you, to make you look bad. And she riled him up to go against Moshe Rabbeinu. And you contrast that with the wife of On Ben Peles who convinced her husband, On, to disassociate himself with the other followers of Korach. She says, why are you starting up with Moshe Rabbeinu? What do you gain from this? Right? Why, don't be part of this evil rebellion. And she convinced her husband to, to not be part of this and to do teshuva, to return. And therefore he was saved. So the lesson I'm trying to bring out here is not marriage advice. That's not what I'm trying to bring out. Obviously it met, the story manifests itself, the advice of two different wives. But what I want to bring out today is this idea of egging people on in a negative way or giving people positive encouragement. And just to be a little more specific, you know, many times people come to us about different issues they might be having or we might have different issues that we want to talk to others about, things that bother us, people have wronged us, things happen, right? And, and people are talking to you and they're just this thing happened to me and this person did this to me and they wronged me and they do this to me and all the bad different things they, they, they do to you. Now, obviously, there's different issues of Lush and Hara, evil speech, which a person has to, be, has to know about. But aside from that, when we hear people talk like this and we egg them on to continue the fight, we're just adding fuel to the fire. We're, we're causing more bad to come out of a bad situation. And, and, and at the same time as well, if, when we go to other people, we have to be careful how we talk about the different hard situations that we go through. If we're upset, if we're, we're angry, you know, obviously there's such a thing as venting and getting something off your chest. But we need to be careful who we vent to. You know, if we're going to go to somebody who's just going to tell us all the negative things, you should go back to that person and fight with him and do this and do that. We need to be careful with it. So what we're coming at is that, number one, is when people come to us and they need a vent, fine, they need a vent. And, you know, in some situations, it's permissible in the laws of Lush and Hara to listen to somebody and just to let them get it off their chest. But we have to be careful that we, number one, is we can't necessarily accept what they're saying is truth. But besides that, we can't egg them on to encourage them to continue a fight against another person. Because in that situation, we're going to be like the wife of Korach. But rather, we should be like the wife of Own Ben Peles. That's who we should try to emulate, to try to, to give the positive encouragement, to just listen to somebody. Don't necessarily, and if he needs to vent and you can't talk to them, let them just vent it out and don't say anything. And for us as well, when we have a, some frustration, when we have a challenge with, an, with another, we have to be careful who we go to to vent and to to let our heart out. Because if we go to people that are going to give us negativity and they're going to add more fuel to the fire, we're just going to be making a bad situation worse. Another important point, which many commentators discuss about this week's Parsha, 
is machlokis. Now, machlokis is translated as, as a dispute, as an argument. And obviously, this parsha centers around this whole dispute and, and rebellion that happens in, in the camp of Israel between the Jewish people. And if you look at what happened, we can take an important lesson for ourselves when it comes to fighting with others and how we should really stay away from it. If you look at the story of Korach, what happened? He started a rebellion against Moshe, which ultimately led to him being swallowed up into the ground with his, all his possessions and his family, except for his sons who did teshuva, who returned, and they were saved. But Korach, Dasan, and Aviron were swallowed up into the ground with all their possessions and their families. And what happened? Everything was destroyed from them. There was not a trace left of these people. And the analogy that's given to, that's, that we compare machlokas to, that dis- disputes to, is to fire. Everyone, know, everyone knows fire. You have to be very careful. You light your menorah. You light your Shabbos candles. You have to watch them. You can't leave them unattended because, God forbid, if a fire could get, gets loose, is not unattended, something happens, it can get out of control. You look at these wildfires in places like California, and many times a small little cigarette butt can cause acres and acres of uncontrollable fire of destruction. And that's really machlokis. Machlokis is, could be, is like a fire. A fire starts off very small, but if it is not contained right away, right? If you don't put it out right away, it spreads to an uncontrollable situation. And many times, if we look at our own life, we'll notice that most people don't get into big fights with other people. It usually starts off with something small, and something small mushrooms into something much larger. When a person has a relationship with another, with a, with a spouse, people don't get into huge arguments most of the time. Usually it's something small, and something small turns into something bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger, until it just explodes and that's machlokus, that's dispute. And that's what we learned from this week's parsha. because if you look at Korach, Korach started off with a small dispute, smaller dispute, and if you look in the commentaries how he began, it really didn't begin with an open rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. It only mushroomed into that. And what was the outcome? He was totally destroyed. His whole family, all his possessions, everything. And that should be, that's, that's the warning for us if we get involved in Machlokas. So on one hand, number one is we have to remember that fighting, that arguing, fights in general, disputes, is like a fire. That if it's something small, if we don't deal with it and try to solve it, it mushrooms into something much bigger and God forbid it could be uncontrollable like a fire. And at the same time, if we don't get control of the situation, we have to realize that the fire can consume us totally. Just like Korach was totally destroyed and consumed by the earth, so too a person and people that are involved in Machlokas are putting themselves in that risk of a situation. And no one wants to be in a place like that. A last thought on this week's Parsha, which really connects into the first two ideas, is this idea of making peace. We see that Moshe Rabbeinu tried numerous times to reconcile with Korach, to reconcile with Dasan and Aviram, who are two of the instigators in the insurrection. And we see in the Parsha, in the wording, that first Moshe calls them, obviously he's the leader of the Jewish people, so it's, and he calls them to, to meet with him. They refuse. 
Dasan and Aviram. And when he sees that they refuse, he goes out of his way to go to them, to their tents, to see if he can make peace and to solve the situation. In the end, they don't come out to greet Moshe Rabbeinu. And only when Moshe Rabbeinu leaves do they come out and throw curses and insults at the leader of the Jewish people. We see an important lesson from this. That Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a leader of the Jewish people. He saw very clearly what Korach, Dasan, and Aviram were trying to do. But yet he still didn't give up to try to make peace. He tried to meet with Dasan and Aviram. He went to their tents. And he was actively pursuing peace. So we see an important lesson. That when it comes to making shalom, for people to get along with each other, resolving situations, there's, there's no chazaka. And what that means is, is that there's no status quo. We don't assume that if someone doesn't want to make up with us a month ago, they won't want to do it today. We need to keep trying to make peace. And obviously, in our own lives, everyone has different situations, but it's always worthwhile to try and make peace if possible. And sometimes that can mean going out of your comfort zone to apologize when you're not so comfortable to do it, when you wrong somebody, right? Because there's some people that won't apologize, even if they know they did something wrong. So it's pushing yourself to give that apology. And even if, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, you feel that you're right, you're really, really right, to still apologize, just to not keep up a quarrel, to create peace. Because even though you have to swallow your pride, but you're the winner in the end of the day. You're the one who's the bigger person because you're apologizing and you're ending the fight. Because fights are not productive. They're destructive. They're distracting. And it prevents us from having peace with each other and having harmony. And this is an important lesson which we see from Moshe Rabbeinu, how he went out of his way to make a fight go away, to make peace within the Jewish people. Ultimately, in this situation, he wasn't successful. But what we see from the fact that he didn't give up and kept doing it and kept doing it is a lesson for us how we should never give up to make peace and to do our best to bring peace to the Jewish people. And that's going to do it for this week's Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Cohen with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.